Hello everyone, this is Sonata Allison. You're listening to episode 56 of the Parallel Podcast, where we talk about sexuality as it should be. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, hey. Okay. Um, so as you guys can see, we'll be talking about abstinence, and I think this is a perfect topic um, because I think um, sometimes people can be prideful in abstaining, but also we need to know what actually what it actually takes to be in a successful marriage and what a successful marriage actually looks like. So I talked to George today about it, and I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. Um, we both enjoyed creating it. So um, I hope you guys enjoy it. I do want to do a quick disclaimer or not a disclaimer. Sorry. Um, just say thank you to everyone who reaches out to me and lets me know, you know, their stories, uh, their struggles, um, how the podcast has helped you guys. Um, I am never too busy to listen and I'm always grateful to hear how the podcast is, is affecting you guys, um, in positive ways. So, um, just really grateful that the Lord has given me the opportunity to have this podcast and just touch at least one person, um, let alone people that, you know, hit me up and let me know, you know, particularly how it's affected them in their life. So I never take that for granted when you guys reach out to me. So just want to let you guys know that. Um, so yeah, let's get into the episode today. Hello, George. How are you doing today? I am phenomenal. How are you? Good to hear. I'm also doing well. Alrighty. So as you guys can see, we're talking about abstinence and the effect it has on the success of marriages. Um, I think this is a really good topic George kind of brought to me and we're going to have a great conversation today. So I want to just start by asking, why do you think people feel that abstaining makes for a better, more successful marriage? Um, so Personally, it was something that was kind of tangible. It's like, okay, this is a thing that I can control. So Mm. in a sense, we believe that, hey, if I control all the variables on my side, then it's going to create a better outcome in marriage. I mean, the thought is not bad. It's really not a bad thought. And it's something that we should do as Christians, as believers. Abstaining should be a portion of our sacrifice to God. But we have to Mm -hmm. untether that from our relational expectations because that's where I think we get into trouble. Yeah. So let's let's define abstaining. How would you define abstaining? Okay, so abstaining, two two different words that are used in our space. So one is celibate, one is abstinent. Abstaining from sex is stopping for a period of time. I'm not going to have sex until I'm married. It's a de- mm-hmm. it's a deliberate thing that you do. It's not something that you do simply because your partner or your I hate the word partner. Why do I say that? Because <laughs> your boyfriend or girlfriend isn't with you. It's something that you do. Like even if we're together, our goal, our fight is to abstain. Celibacy, on the other hand, is abstaining from marriage. It's essentially saying that I'm going to stay single until I die, living a devoted mm-hmm. life to Christ. So people who abstain are abstaining because they found a rhythm in Christ. They understand the obedience that is required to be in Christ. And they're saying that, hey, I know I want to be married. I don't have the gift of celibacy. I do not have that gift. 
I want to be in a relationship and I'm going to hold myself or as much of myself as I can until mm-hmm. I'm married. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't understand like it's it's for Christ. I think a lot of people may think in the church, especially like because I'm in this church community, I have to abstain or because I want a husband, I have to abstain. So I yes. think what you were saying too, like the basis should be Christ, not just, you know, the reflection of your community or anything like that. Always, because when it's not Christ, you always get these little deviations where some people are abstaining, but they're masturbating. It's like, well, you're not abstaining. You're, 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 you're not still abstaining. being sexual. Yes. Yes, you are. You might as well yes. go the whole way. And that's what I was going to say. We have to kind of clarify what that looks like as well, because I think a lot of Christians, you know, especially on TikTok, I'll like put funny things out there where kids are still doing oral and thinking that they're not having sex. So literally anything sexual is under yes. the confines of uh, what's the word? Uh, Sexuality. Impure, impure sexual behavior, basically. So that's still sex. And that's a good word, like purity. So purity is like, so we get saved. We go from salvation to sanctification. Someone says, tell them that I'm saved, that I'm sanctified, I'm Holy Ghost filled. You abstain, you abstain at a base level. Purity is the next thing. I don't know, and God, this is going to be offensive to a lot of people. If 10% of the Christian population is truly abstaining, I would venture to say that maybe 1% is actually living pure. Mm, Why? Why do you feel that way? Purity is a protection of an environment, of a space. It's like you can't encroach upon my space, not with your TV, not with your dirty music, not with your dirty talking. Like, I won't hear it. I won't involve myself in it. Mm. It's hard to be pure in our culture because everything has just has just inundated us with sexuality. So if you enjoy TV at this point, like if you watch TV, you're probably struggling to stay pure. If you listen mm. to hip hop music, rap music, you are probably struggling to stay pure. If you have conversations with anybody of the opposite sex who is sex who is attracted to you, they're probably encroaching, uh, encroaching, excuse me, encroaching on your purity, because we have just been hypersexualized in our culture. Yeah. So there aren't a lot of pure people. I mean, like, I think purity and abstinence have become. Um, just more identifiers of people who are attempting to be sanctimonious. Like people who are really pure, you know, they are because the words that come out of your mouth that aren't pure feel dirty. Mm. Yeah. And I think you saying, I think I want to just kind of bring it down to the basis. When he says struggling, it's not like you're, it's like you're not white knuckling it. Like literally everything in this world is sinful. Like, not everything, but there are a lot of things in this world that are sinful. We sin weekly, daily, maybe even hourly. So we're consistently struggling. So when you're watching TV and you hear something that's impure, you have to basically in, inwardly fight against that. So he's not saying like everyone is not a pure person or everyone has this like white knuckled struggle. Like literally 
we all have to work against being impure. So I think yeah. that is a really good point. Like yeah. every single person. And it's and it's funny because I was uh, like when we look at preachers, when we look at pastors, when we listen to them, there's a portion of us that wants to look at the person. We're not looking at the Holy Spirit that's speaking through them. We look at that person and something in us says he or she's got it figured out. Nobody mm. has it figured out. Yep. Like we are all fighting something at every stage and component of our lives. That's why when we hear the preacher speak, they always say, Lord, speak through me. Lord, you use me. Because if I get mm-hmm. in the way, I'm going to mess it up. Yep. <laughs> Completely <laughs> right. So so why do you think people are attracted to another person's abstinence? Like, I think sometimes it can even become fetishized, you know? Yeah. I think it's it's almost like we look at pro athletes. It's like, wow, you can do something that most people cannot do. You have chosen a okay. hard path that most people will not choose. It's so much easier yeah. to do. There are women who, when I was abstaining, there were women who were not abstaining who were attracted to me. And I'm like, I'm like, why would you waste your time? <laughs> if you know I'm not doing that, like, what's what is your attraction? Are you attracted attracted because you want to partake in this with me? And then that's an issue where people abstain because the person that they're with is abstaining. It's like, well, Mm. I'm not God. That's good. I'm not God. So if you're abstaining for me, then all you get is me. You don't get the reward of the Holy Spirit. Right. And what if you you, stop abstaining then? They're not abstaining anymore either then. Exactly. (laughs) So it's just like somebody uh, somebody just sitting on the sideline waiting on you to stop Right. Hoping. Right. Kinda hoping. They're like, if you make it, great. But if you don't, I'm just as happy. Right. Right. Um, so I think there's a there's a portion of discipline that goes along with um, lifestyles that people don't normally embrace. And mm. I think it's just attractive because people who are abstaining are typically a little more authentic. They're a little more confident. They have a little more peace. They have a little more joy. They're able to be a little more expressive because they spent time with themselves to heal. And I think that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, it is a good thing to be attracted to someone's abstinence, but when it becomes like fetishized or like, I, there are also people who find people that are like virgins or abstinent and want to kind of bring yeah. them to the other side, you know? Yeah. I, um, so, you know, I had a rule when I was, when I was out there in the world slinging, right. I was like, I never wanted to, like, me and my homeboys never wanted to have sex with virgins, right? That's something that we never oh, really? wanted to do. Um, okay. Because even even in the sexual space, like, people are lazy. You had a little bit of morals? It's not even the morals, per se, because I, I think <laughs> morality, to me, is one of those things where if, if this is the out-of-bounds line, you're inbounds on this side, you're out-of-bounds on this side. I don't believe in being out of bounds right here. I'm one of those guys that's like, hey, if we're gonna if we're gonna miss it, let's miss it by just a take mile. it all away. Yeah, I don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm extreme in that regard. Um, mm. So it wasn't about the morality. It's it, there's a laziness and an entitlement. When when men get women, we expect them to have a certain. We expect their sexual prowess to be at or above the least freaky person we've ever had. 
And virgins typically why do, don't So why is that? that? You said it's at or just, above or at or below? At or above. So you Okay, that makes at, sense. Yes, you have to be at least okay. as freaky as my least freaky woman. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just the thing that we do. Like comparison is... Um, well, there's a quote that talks about comparison. I can't think of it right now, but it's essentially yeah, saying I... that comparison is, is basically an evil thing to do for, in the eyes of God because nobody was made to be exactly the same. Every perception mm. that any human has alters how they're going to do anything. Sex, how they're going to eat food, how they're going to walk, how they're going to talk, when they talk, when they walk, when they're willing to have sex. Like All of these things alter perceptions of people. So no mm-hmm. one individual has the same perception, right? Um, even twins. If, if you have a twin brother or sister and you guys were raised in the exact same house by the exact same parents, the 12 minutes that you were born after your twin is going to give you a different, different perspective on life for the rest of your life. And there's nothing yeah. that can make it identical, right? So mm-hmm. when we look at these perceptions and we start to think about how we bring these perceptions into our sexual behaviors, into our sexual lives, what you ultimately begin to realize is that people are lazy and entitled. We have sex on this single side because we want pleasure for ourselves. And yeah. any pleasure that we give to anybody else is just a performance. It's not it's not based in love. It's all performance. Mm. So we miss yeah. the boat. So men don't even like purity. Like you ask a man that's been with a few women, does he want to marry a virgin? He's not even interested in that because he's got to teach her stuff. I don't want to have to teach her anything because that would involve love and patience. Hmm. So, Sheesh. yeah, man, it's, and I'm just frustrated with all of it. I'm, I'm, I'm so frustrated with all of it. I'm like, yo, we are doing it wrong. Yeah. I actually talked to a, a guy recently that said he decided to become abstinent a year ago and it literally yeah. changed his life. It will change. So, it alters your life in ways that you can never you, like. I'll, this is the analogy I use. What's your favorite movie? Someone asked me that recently. I don't have one, but when I was younger, it was Love and Basketball. All right. So let's say you watch Love and Basketball on a 12 inch television. The sound is a little okay. muffled and the color is a little off. <laughs> and then somebody comes to take you to a theater. High definition, Dolby surround sound, IMAX. And you watch Love and Basketball on that screen. And you're like, oh my God. It is an entirely different experience. Our lives, when we partake in sexual activity, and we have just made it a lifestyle, it's that little 12-inch screen with the muffled sound and color and discoloration. God mm-hmm. is saying, listen, I created you to be IMAX, Dolby surround sound, big screen, in a theater, but because yeah. of the way you have lived sexually, you have distorted the picture of yourself. The sound people mm. can't hear you. Your voice isn't as amplified, and that's what we've done to ourselves. Nobody is. I don't say nobody. There are very few of us who are walking around in the light, in the glory, in the beauty that God has actually given to us. It was a birthright. Mm. 
Yeah. Like we just yeah. we just have chosen to take it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in addition to that, um, we have to remember like the things that the Lord asks us to do is not just because he doesn't want us to have fun. It's so that we can live in the in the holiest, most beautiful, uh, flavor filled, favor filled yes. aspect of life. So when you do it outside of that, you're gonna experience pain and different things that come with that. Like you're saying, everything's distorted. So you're not actually fully experiencing the full pleasure of something when you are living it out in a distorted way that's not in the correct context. So, And sometimes, Kyle, that's a great point. And to delve into it a little bit, sometimes the pain is the knowledge of what you no longer are getting. Mm. Like you're in a relationship and you're getting seven and a half. But the relationship just wouldn't work because there were some things you couldn't agree on. But speaking sexually, you're getting seven and a half out of ten. You get in another mm-hmm. relationship and every other aspect of the relationship is at an eight and a half. This is the best woman or man you've ever had. But sexually, it's at a five and a half. You don't feel like you're in the right relationship. Mm. You like so. That thing, that, that seven and a half, that you know what it feels like. You know what it's like to be in a seven and a half relationship, speaking sexually. You're now in yeah. a five and a half. There is nothing that the eight and a half or the eight can do to make you not know what you're missing sexually. Yeah. And you don't have the patience to teach them. And if you have the patience to teach them, them knowing that you weren't a virgin coming into this begin to become insecure because they're like, wait a minute, are you trying to make me somebody else? Mm-hmm. So you got and, you, and they may not they may not even it. be they may not even be insecure. It just may be like literally you remember. <laughs> so you're remembering your time with all these other people when you're in your current healthy relationship so that comes with you even if you you know are enjoying getting to know this person and and teaching them like you still remember those past experiences remember and and you can so and and you know like that's that's a thing that i've always wondered i'm like god like why when we give our lives to you can we not forget these things and it makes you Mm. wonder what was the thorn in the apostle paul's flesh because I think about thorns in my flesh, and I'm just like, God, if I could just erase some of these pornographic memories from my mind, mm-hmm. I can love and serve my wife exponentially better. Yeah, that's like, deep. My, my, my grace is sufficient. I'm like, yeah, it's sufficient, but it, I'm frustrated with it. He's like, son, right. the, wages, the wages of sin is death. The, yeah, the thing, but I think the, the thorn, innocence. like, we keep it. Go yes. ahead. I think we keep it forever. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, the Lord the Lord allows us to keep the thorn because it brings us back to him, you know? So it's like, I hate this thing, but also like this thing does something for my relationship with Christ. We're always going to have a thorn, even if it's not something we had for most of our life. If it was pornography or whatever, you're going to have another yes. thorn because you're a human who in a sinful world. Yes. And, and as you approach marriage or as you begin to get in relationships that are hopefully leading to marriage, I hadn't quite figured it out. And here's another thing that happens. When you move from singleness to marriage, because I've been in the the singles relationship space on on social media for a a little while now, you begin to speak so definitively about things that you know for certain. And you get married, (laughs) and you're like, 
I, I didn't know that like I thought I knew that. Because now it's your mm. time to practice. Like, okay, all these ideals and these heaps of coal I put on everybody else, God has yeah. now called me into practice of it. And I'm not so good mm-hmm. at it. So marriage yeah. is just like this purifying fire that is so opposite of what dating is. Dating, we want Can to you show explain that life. in depth? Okay, so. Why do you feel like it's you, different than dating? When you date somebody, you're bringing your very best self to them. The, your first date, your hype, you got on your makeup, your eyelashes, you got on the outfit that you feel is the best, um, most um, complimenting thing that you can wear on both sides. I've got, I got my hair cut. I'm presenting the best version of myself just like a job interview. But marriage is something entirely different. You don't, nobody's going to fart on the first date, not to be too vulgar or anything <laughs> like that. Nobody's going to fart on it's the first true. date. You can't yeah. hide a fart from your wife or your husband. That's it's true. Like, like, that's the real you, right? It's like, mm. she's no, like, you're no longer on a pedestal. I'm no longer on a pedestal. I can take my wife to Ruth Chris for her birthday when we're dating. I can't take her to Ruth Chris once a month when we get, once we get married. Because I ain't got it like that. Yeah. But I want her to feel a level of security that isn't necessarily there. Women mm. want to present a level of prestige or classiness that just isn't sustainable. <laughs> that's that's so we, facts. So we, we marry these ideas of people. But that's then true. we get mad. We get mad when we say, I don't feel like you understand me. And it's like, well, mm. how could I? You bought yeah. something to me that doesn't exist. And I think and that's just the issue with society in general, though. Like, yes. we always are putting on a- in every aspect of life until, you know, marriage you can't put on anymore because you, you're with them day in and day out. You're farting yes. day in and day out. So. Yes, it's, it's always. And not only can you not put on, the desire to put on dissipates over time. That's true. So it's like, it's like, wait a minute. Not only can you not pretend, your desire to pretend is gone. Because mm. everything else in the marriage is so taxing. We need to make sure that we got our spirits right. Depending on the lifestyle that you want to live, that's going to always hit you. So going right into the sexual component, now that we're married, the reason that I was abstaining before marriage was so that I could come into marriage and have sex 10 times a day. The reason that somebody's wife or husband may have been abstaining was because because sex was always something in their lives that caused them to, um, it was always a point of pain or contention for them. They never liked mm-hmm. it. They did it because this is how they connected to people. Maybe they've learned to connect without sex. So sex is not as big a deal to them anymore. So when you get these two people who are doing the same thing, but they're doing it for different reasons, you start to yeah. realize that, well, wait a minute. Like we were both abstaining, but you were abstaining because you wanted to see greener grass. 
I was abstaining because I wanted to see blue walls. These two <laughs> reasons don't mesh. So there's no agreement yeah. on the thing that you're doing. And it takes time to understand. It's like, well, why would green grass even matter? And they're like, well, why would blue walls even matter? Like, abstaining mm-hmm. is for this reason. It's for green grass and it's for nothing else. And if we don't care about the grass always being watered and always being green, then why would you even abstain? Why would you even talk about it? Just do it, never mention it. Right. And they're like, and they're like, well, Sorry. that's okay. And they're like, well, the Go blue walls do matter. And it's like, yeah, but they don't matter as much as the green grass. So what you ultimately begin right. to see is people are now fussing and fighting over the very thing that brought them together. And yeah, and that's why I want to ask you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. You good. I was going to ask you because you were saying you feel like you intentionally like invested in, you know, it was more about preserving your own pleasure more than, you know, seeking the will of God. So how do you feel like that yes. affected you and your relationship sexually and just in general? Um. So, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but now that I'm married, I have to learn how to use metaphors and analogies a little better. <laughs> um. So speaking specifically to that, ask the question one more time. Make sure I got it. So. Yeah, I know you were saying at one point you you felt like the way that you were abstaining was more focused on preserving your own pleasure than, you know, like sacrificing for the glory of God. So how do yes. you feel like that affected your so abstinence? Got it. So when I first when I first began abstaining, it was solely based on being sold out to God. And this was a portion of the reasonable sacrifice. Excuse me. Not long after that, especially if you're talking about it socially via social media, you begin to see people gravitate towards you for this new thing that you're doing. Mm. And not so long, you begin to get um, like a status attachment to it. It's like, like an identity. It's like I'm, kind of becomes your yeah, identity. It becomes a, so, an aspect. Isn't that so ironic? Isn't that so ironic? Well, let me answer this question. Let me put a pin on that. Let me. Let me <laughs> yeah, put a pin on that. Let me. Yeah, let me write a note. All right. So, where was I? So, as you're abstaining, it starts out being for Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Um, and that's it. As time progresses and you talk about the thing that you're doing, there's an attachment that you begin to get with the sense of importance that it brings to you. It becomes like an identity, right? So everywhere you go, everything that you do, you're opening up with, hey, I'm abstaining. And I'm a man. So I know this. Like for women who abstain, they're reluctant to say it because guys are not going to want them. Mm. For men who abstain, Women are like, hmm. it's like I'm high quality out here. Hmm. What's what? What do you know that these other guys don't know? What are you bringing mm. to the table that these other men that I've met aren't bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. And you begin to play on it. I don't know if you follow any single Christian abstinent men on social media. Watch how much pride they take in the abstinence. Yeah, like it's. I I begin to look like. Facebook, um, Facebook memories has been a blessing to my life because I get to go back <laughs> and read the things that I was posting at that stage of my life. And I'm okay. just like, God, thank you for keeping me through that. 
anybody that I hurt, anybody that I turned off, anybody that I turned on sounded like I had something that I didn't really have, forgive me mm. for it. Because it's a farce. It's, it's just like we flaunt our ability to abstain just like we would a lot of money. It, none of it means nothing. Yeah. Right? So as you're doing it, and you begin to see the attention that it brings to you, you begin to revel in the attention. And it's no longer about God. It's an image that you have to hold up. And you know that's true because when you stumble, and I pray that most people won't, I did. When I stumbled, I was more hurt by the fact that I was going to have to tell people the mistake I had made Then I was Mm. about getting in the grace of God so that people could see the grace of God in the life of somebody who was truly fighting to serve him. That's deep. Sheesh. And and that's when I was just like, okay, I'm not. Yeah, I need to get it right. right. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not doing this right. I'm like, God, because I'm hurt that I hurt you, but the, the, the annoying lump of anxiety is people saying that I'm fraudulent. Or that I'm hypocritical. Yeah. When in fact we all are. Like everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And and like there is like, and that's the true, one of the true characteristics of someone who truly is in Christ. There is no shame. It's like, hey, Mm -hmm. y'all, I know y'all were following me for this reason. And this is, this is one of the issues I have with the Megan Goods and the Devon Franklins of the world. They hit mm-hmm. us with that line about the evolution of their love. I'm like, no, don't, don't you say that to me. Don't you, don't you talk to me. Yeah. Don't, you say, don't say words to me out of your mouth. Just stop. <laughs> You're going to pretend that this is evolution. It's like, no, what you guys need to do is come together and write another book. And you need to tell us the struggles because you, you buttered mm. us up. You buttered us up. And yeah. I, at this point, we don't even care if you make $100 million selling the book. Just don't pretend that what you gave us in the beginning was all that we needed. Come back mm-hmm. and tell us. You can write a book and title it in addition to the weight. But give <laughs> us something else. Yeah. Like, that's what frustrates me. Nobody wants to reconcile. In the Bible, there's a story about a guy, Zacchaeus. In those days, tax collectors were looked at like we look at sex offenders. Yeah. Jesus went to this guy named Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus says, hey, hey, if I, he was rich. He said, hey, if I've harmed anybody, I'm paying back four times restitution. I'm, I'm going to pay him back. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. The thing that we don't do in our generation is when we hurt people, we don't make it as important to go back and reconcile the wrong that we've done. Yeah. Everybody won't receive it, and that's fine. But it is Mm -hmm. incumbent upon us to make an attempt. We have to try to make whole the people that we hurt who we had influence over. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating when you don't see people do that. Yeah, and I think that's how you know someone's heart is really captured by Christ when they can when it it they have that strong conviction like I need yes. to be in right standing with people that I've hurt. 
which is which is why I'm here today. It's like um, it's like uh, if 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 the first phase of all of this was the uh, the abstinence tour, this phase is the truth tour. It's like, hey, let's go mm. back and tie up some of those loose ends, guys. <laughs> I was uh, I was gassing y'all up. It ain't like that. If you're not doing it for for the sole purpose of preparing yourself for eternity with Christ, then abstaining is just it's just like a necklace that you're wearing. People look at it and they ooh and ah, but they don't know it's fake. Yeah. And I think that's a hard thing too, being a Christian. Like we have to be comfortable. Like if you don't acknowledge your need for grace, it's as if it was done in vain. Like, why do we need to seem so perfect to humans when like nothing is done perfectly? So if I'm abstaining, um, I'm not abstaining perfectly. If I'm a virgin, I'm not doing it perfectly. If I'm in marriage, I'm not doing it perfectly. So we need to just be honest. Like, okay, yes. like there's no shame. Like the Bible literally says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, you know, obviously what I'm saying is easier said than done. Even what I'm saying right now Absolutely. is easier said than done. Absolutely. But um, I think we still strive to it. That's what we're called to do as Christians is to still strive. Like, I think the true mark of a Christian is someone who is continuously striving. We get knocked down every single day. But if your desire is to honor Christ, then you're in good standing with the Lord. And regardless, even if your de- desire is not to and you are in Christ, he loves you regardless. So, yeah, I think we just need to <coughs> realize that. Absolutely. And, and one thing, the point that I was going to make a little earlier. When we were talking about abstaining became my identity. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same argument that we make to people in the LGBT community where they want to present and say, hey, I'm a gay man. or I'm a trans woman. It's like one of the mm-hmm. first things that we say to them is, hey, this you are more than your sexuality. Right. But it's so funny that when we start abstaining for Christ, we want to let people know that, oh, I'm I'm worth the weight guy. Or I'm worth the wait, right? Or I'm I'm staying mm-hmm. until marriage. It's like, well, wait a second. Where did that concept of this not being your identity go? Because right. it seems if it's something that you're proud of, then you can present it as an identity. But if it's something that the Bible says we shouldn't do, then it's shameful to present ourselves in that manner. It's like, no, the mm-hmm. logic has to be the same. Because at the end of the day, what we're saying to the person in the community is that, hey, God is bigger than your struggle with sexuality. Okay, well, Christian, single, God is bigger than your attachment to abstinence. Right. I couldn't understand that in the beginning. I'm like, what do you mean he's bigger? Like, no, this is what you're supposed to do. Sure, you're supposed mm. to do it. But don't do it in a way that makes everybody else feel like it's going to be impossible. God has mm-hmm. gifted you to do some things in that area. There's some things about your life that has made this a little better for you. But when we take a look at your money, you're not a great steward of your money. So let's mm. let's bring that to the forefront because that person yeah. that you're condemning, they handle their money well. So if you want to talk about effectiveness in the kingdom, they could be a lot more effective than you can be because most people aren't going to be able to do what you're doing anyway. Right. And it just humbles you. And you're like, ah, which is why I developed this concept of wholeness university. There is no one thing that you can bring. It's you bring a you bring a, a, a plethora of things. 
And you just begin to sort them all out. Spiritually, mm-hmm. who is God? Yeah. Who is God? Like, who am I going to be in Christ? Mentally, what can I do in this world? Who do I believe I am? Emotionally, what thing, what habit, what emotional tie, soul tie from the past has um, disrupted my belief system? Physically, mm. am I healthy? Do I take care of myself? Is my body treated as a temple? Financially, am I a worshiper of money or have I allowed myself to follow God and he adds the money to my life? That's mm-hmm. what wholeness is. Like let's let's look at let's lay it all on the table and look at the full gamut. Yeah. And, and I think um, that's the thing that is affected with wholeness. Like you want you, when you idolize one thing, you are not living in wholeness then. Like, especially it's if you're impossible. not idolizing the right thing. If you're not idolizing yes. God and you choose abstinence, your bra- your brain's going straight to abstinence. You're not thinking about finance. You're not thinking about physical. Your your fo- main focus is abstinence. So you, I think that's you see everything a good through, point you too. Filter, you filter everything through that lens. Exactly. Why am I being healthy? Yeah. Because I'm abstaining and I want to be this way for my future husband, my future wife. Why am I financially? Because I'm, you know, like you're not thinking about Christ at the center. It's abstinence or whatever idol that you have. Yep. So, so so you abstain. So as I was abstaining from sex, I think about, okay, well, I can't be jacking off. I can't be doing all this because I want to be ready for my wife. And it's like, well, what about that bill that was due yesterday that you just don't pay on time? Why didn't you pay that (laughs) on time? Because that's going to be a benefit for your wife. True. It's like, don't 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 fixate on one thing and you have other things that are that are potentially as hazardous mm-hmm. and there was nobody there to bring that balance to me or hold on okay let me not say that let me say i wasn't in a place where i was willing to hear it because i was so yeah. obsessed with myself and this new this new toy that i have found that mm-hmm. i wanted the world to see it and mm-hmm. the, the showing tale, the show and tale, has to always be Jesus Christ. Yeah, it can't be. Hey, this is the thing I'm doing. It's good. It's like no, it's always Christ. Yeah, it's always Christ. Hey, George, I see you got this new thing. Yeah, that thing is just something that I can talk to you about Christ about. It's it's nothing yeah. more than that. Because tomorrow mm-hmm. that thing may not be here. <laughs> it is mm-hmm. light years away. Um, you know, one one thing, and I, I go I go way off topic sometimes, but one thing that's amazing <laughs> about stars and light years. So light year is not really a measure of time; it's a measure of distance, right? So when you see a star in the mm. sky and it's five light years away, by the time we actually see the light, the star is not in that place. So what we're looking right. at is not even there. We have to begin to treat our salvation like that. By the time somebody finally sees the manifestation of the glory of God in our lives, that came from study that we put in months ago. So it's like, mm-hmm. hey, what you're seeing today is not even what's here right now. You're seeing yeah. something from months ago. And if I'm not preparing myself to the same degree, when you see me five months from now, you won't see this same guy. That's good. Salvation is not a one off. We go to college, we get this degree. I have a finance degree for the rest of my life. I get saved on the same day I get my finance degree. I never pick up another Bible. I never go back to another church. Can I say that I'm still saved? Some people say you can. Some people say you can. Um, Yeah. 
that, that's that's a hard one. But I think your, your sanctification is yeah, your sanctification is different. Are you showing fruit that you're in Christ? That's a whole yes. that's a whole nother thing. That's an entirely different thing. And that's what yeah. my prayer is to get people to. Because just speaking on this one topic specifically, sex, no sex. When you read through the Bible, and it's it's hard to stomach. When you read through the Bible, a lot of the men that are pillars of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Samson, you start Mm -hmm. Hosea, you talk about Hosea as a prophet. When you start to read through their relationships, you're like, my God. I asked a young woman one time, I said, if you could pick a husband from the Bible, who would it be? You want me to answer it? Please do. <laughs> this is not possible, but I would choose Jesus. But if I can't choose Jesus, uh, choose I don't Jesus. think I would. I don't think I would choose anybody. Honestly, there's no one. I mean, Boaz, I guess, but I heard some stuff about him, so I don't even know. And it's so funny you say that. Here is there's a course <clears throat> that I've that I've recorded that I that I taught. It's called Ruthless. That's the title of it. It's a play on kind of a double double entendre, right? Mm-hmm. And what I'm essentially saying to young women, because every young woman who has a little biblical knowledge, their mind always goes to Boaz. Yeah. What they don't realize is that well, I ain't saying not not you. Holistically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For the most part, what young women don't realize is that to get to Boaz, Ruth had to commit to a mother-in-law in a foreign land who specifically said to her, I have nothing. I have zero. I'm miserable. Yeah. I'm hurt. I'm dejected. And I'm left stranded by God. Do not follow me. Ruth mm-hmm. said, listen to me. I'm coming with you even if it kills me. And if I leave, I pray that the Lord does terrible things to me. Yeah, so but her goal was to talk, too to follow the God that she followed as well. Exactly, exactly. So what it takes to get to a Boaz is what we're talking about in this space. What things are you willing to sacrifice? What truth, mm-hmm. what uncomfortable truth are you willing to face? In the face of what level of adversity are you still willing to commit to this thing that you say you want? Because most of yeah. us are looking for easy street. Mm-hmm. And and definitely in the realm of marriage, like that's that's it right there. What are you willing to drop off? And and you know, like marriage is gonna be work and people don't realize that it's not always honeymoon phase. So because <laughs> like you were saying earlier. We we don't want to have we don't put on that facade anymore. We're just who we are. So you have to work to keep up, you know, keep the person feeling loved and all that good stuff. It's it takes yeah. work. It's not just easy. Yeah, and it's and it's so, and we approach it so selfishly, man. We're so unfair. It's just so as a as an abstinent man, I'm doing everything for my my girlfriend, my fiance to fall in love with me minus sex. We get mm-hmm. married. And my sexual demands hit her in the face. I need this. I need that. Mm. I need this. Like, well, hold on. Because I didn't fall in love with this component of you. So the fact that it's you're so demanding in that area is a turnoff to me. Because yeah. I didn't see this. 
And yeah, I know that we've crossed this threshold in which sex is allowed now, but you have to understand we were we were created in a different space. So you're pouring this onto me now and you're just unloading and I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for that. Yeah, we talked about mm-hmm. it, but the mm-hmm. way that you controlled yourself before we got married, you're a different person now. Mm. So man, when you get married, it's the goal is to my philosophy is to find as many advocates as you can for your marriage not the people who i know only love me and they care about what's best for me i don't talk to them as much because my wife is going to always sound like somebody i should pull away from Mm, i I talk to people i say hey if you're gonna give any more grace to me than you do to my wife i ain't talking to you no matter of fact, good. I need you to give my wife more grace than you give me. Because mm. if there's anything that you say in conversation that gives me the feeling that I should pull away or leave my wife, I can't talk to you no more. I need to be able mm-hmm. to bring these things to you. I need to be able to say them. I need to be able to say it explicitly. But I need you to tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah, Because if you that's make important. me feel right, yes, if you make me feel right, I'm going to harbor all of these emotions against my wife. And then I'm going to fall back into the devices of my past. Mm. Um, I don't know if you watch sports or not. I sure do. So you know that the regular season is one thing, but the postseason, the playoffs, are an entirely different thing. Yeah. Everything that you were in singleness, it don't matter when you get married. <laughs> it's done. Put a nice yeah. bow on it, and glory to God that it was. Y- you got to perform now. That that stuff yes. was past it. <laughs> it's over. Now's the time. Yes, it is. Like God, like Jesus says that you know, our great the Apostle Paul says, I have to die flesh daily. I have to beat my flesh into subjection daily. We repent daily. His graces and mercies mm-hmm. are new daily jesus says don't worry about what you're gonna do tomorrow like let's find bread Mm -hmm. that is sufficient for today daily bread and it is the actual institution of marriage is so antithetical to how we perform daily in culture it is it's the eggs it's oh my goodness i'm fearful that people are going to get Marriage isn't as romantic as we have made it look on social media. Yeah. And that's that's bad news to a lot of people. Yeah. Being a marriage therapist, I <laughs> mean, that. couples counselor, it's, <laughs> it's uh, it gets it gets hard. That's for all relationships, it, too, though. Yes. And it, there's something, there's just something about that commit like there's something about I don't, I don't even know how to word let me think on this for one second the bible says that stolen waters are always a little sweeter right wow when when the water is no longer stolen that thrill 
has been extracted. Mm -hmm. The the thing that lines every premarital relationship with is this thrill for sinful living. Mm. And it's presented in the form of a familiar person who has your best interest in mind that loves you for who you are and is experiencing and sharing a moment with you that's exclusive to you guys when the devil is all up in it. It doesn't matter Mm. how beautiful the moment feels. If the enemy has infiltrated it, then you're going to have some struggle. The the word of God says that David was a man after God's own heart, but we have to look at the sexual immorality that David lived through. David had a son. David had one son who raped his daughter. So you got a son who was so wildly impassioned by the idea of having sex with his own sister that he raped her. And David didn't even deal with it. David's other son went and killed his brother on his sister's behalf. (laughs) And the word of God talked about that son being worse than David. It's like, well, wait a second. What does all (laughs) of this mean? Yeah. Oh, man, I could go on forever. Let me let me find a place to stop. What I'm essentially (laughs) saying is (laughs) what I'm essentially saying. And this is how my little cousin broke it down to me. He says. As far as we know, the son who killed the brother for raping his sister never had a heart. Or never approached his situation. First, giving honor to God and surrendering to God and admitting to where he may have been wrong. Mm. And everything that David did, he always cried out to God. He prayed for forgiveness and he made his sin ever present before the Father. So in this area of abstaining, it seems to me that God extends more grace to the individual who struggles daily and maybe fails daily, but their heart is so centered and their heart is so broken when they disappoint God that all they want to do is be back in the face of God. And they're sincerely Mm -hmm. fighting to be there, to be in his grace, to not need his mercies, to stay in the grace of God and the presence of God and honor him with everything that they have. God gives more grace to that person than he does to the person who feels like, hey, I'm good. I got it. Yeah. And I think that's literally a perfect segue into my next question. So, and that kind of answers the question too. What makes for a successful marriage then if it's not abstaining? That's a long answer. I know. Give me me your top three, top three though. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm, I'll give you I'll give you what I can I'll give you what God has given to me I've been, okay. my marriage will be two years in September September 5th will be two years okay. I can't tell you what a successful marriage takes mm. I can tell you how to make it a year and a half okay I can, I can maybe get you through your first year The first piece, understanding the weight of the baggage that you bring to the marriage. Mm. You got, 
You have to know if it's if it's seventy seven point six pounds, that's something you have to know. Mm-hmm. Because you're bringing somebody in to help carry that weight. Be more willing to fix yourself than you're willing to watch your spouse fix themselves. Mm. That's if good. You can do that, my especially men. You know, you know, I never felt the heaviness of being a man until I became a husband. That makes complete sense. I never felt the heaviness of it. Man, I, can you explain you, that to them, though? My wife can leave our doors unlocked. But if somebody breaks in to harm us or steal our stuff, I got to protect her. Mm-hmm. My wife can spend every single dollar that we have. If the bills don't get paid, they're going to say, George, can you not provide for your house? Mm-hmm. My wife can go out and slap somebody in their face. I got to make sure that they don't slap her back. Mm. Everything about being a man. Let me see how to say this. I don't matter anymore. I don't matter anymore. It's all about the provision for my wife. Because if she doesn't get provision, she doesn't feel secure. If she doesn't feel secure, the projection of the insecurity on me, it feels to me that she doesn't desire me. I could attack that what I'm feeling, the desire that she doesn't have, or I could go back to the security that I'm not providing. See, that's the toughest Mm -hmm. thing to do. The toughest thing to do is to go back to the things that may have caused what she's feeling. I want to go and attack what she's feeling. And as a man, I've had my marriage has struggled in phases because I want my wife to fix things that I played a part in. Mm. And I'm just like, no, fix it. Like, I'm telling you what I need you to do. And she's like, hold on. I understand what you need me to do, baby. I hear you. But I need you to understand that. In the last week, you haven't hugged me, you talked to me, you haven't spent time with me, but every night you're expecting boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. It's not that I can't just offer myself up. It's just that I feel like I'm giving and pouring into an endless or a vessel that's insatiable. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man. But I don't want to do that because as a man, it takes me a week to warm you up. I need you today. <laughs> and she's like, well, I, I could give myself to you today, but that's going to that's going to cost today is going to cost you three weeks. Mm. I don't have the patience, so I'll take today. But then the next three weeks, I'm lackluster. Imagine getting, mm. imagine your job paying you one hundred thousand dollars and then saying, all right, it's January the first. Get ready to come to work. You're like, ah. <laughs> so <laughs> you like, I'm ah. <laughs> uh, so imagine that same thing, right? So you've got your hundred thousand dollars at the beginning of the year. It's now, it's now mid July. You're mm. just not interested anymore because there's no additional benefit for you. Mm. I have to remind myself as a man that, Hey, God has given you this prize. 
It's your job to upkeep it. It's your job to understand that you have to serve and you have to offer yourself and you have to die daily. Taking a bullet for my wife would be the easiest thing I could ever do. Yeah. Waking up and serving my wife, picking up my socks, putting them in the dirty clothes, (laughs) folding that bed like she likes it, fixing Mm -hmm. that pillow a little bit, fluffing it up, sitting it in the right place putting the cereal box back in the closet, taking the garbage out, but when I know it's full, as opposed to waiting till the next day and pushing it down. <laughs> Dying daily, man. Love, yes. love looks so different. It looks so different than the romance that we see. Yeah, yeah. Out of a 365-day year, you may have 30 great days of romance. Hmm. And those happen to be the 30 days that we center our social media around. That's true. And those 30 days are a result of those other days that you put in work. I don't, people don't understand that. Yes. (laughs) And when you don't put in the work and you're a pretentious generation, not even say generation, and you're like me, you don't (laughs) put in the work, but you still want people to know that you're happily married. You go ahead and post the romance anyway. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And see that too causes discord in your marriage because your spouse mm-hmm. is looking at you like, "Well, hold on, <laughs> you, you haven't even hugged me in three weeks. You ain't <laughs> what you posting that video of us hugging? <laughs> when did that so, happen? <laughs> when? So when I tell you, man, social media is a is a new animal." That is a real part of our lives and the expectations that we have for marriage. It has changed the landscape of humanity. And Mm. in this one area of husband and wife that is so big, it is so huge because it, it, it impacts the family directly. It impacts the community, the cities, the municipalities. Everything that in a healthy society, everything hinges on the marital status of the individuals. Mm-hmm. You got to be healthy in your thinking, in your expectations, in your emotions. You got to know God. You got to have some financial savviness. You got to be physically healthy. You got to be whole. If you yeah. aren't whole, you end up pretending to do something that you're not or pretending to be something that you're not. Yeah. And that's that's what sums it all up. The wholeness. Like that's, that's basically the, the answer, you know, like obviously it needs to be based in Christ. But as you were saying as well, like you have to understand that it takes work. You have to understand that those 30 days are not going to be what every day looks like. Um, And you have to understand, like, there are so many different aspects of marriage that you have to pay attention to. You being abstinent is not going to be, it does not equal success in marriage. No. It It won't. I mean, it's it's just another conduit for water to flow a little more freely. But man, it's it's not everything. It's not the source. Mm -hmm. It's not the resource. It's just a conduit. At the very best, and we'll end with this, at the very best, sex is like water. Imagine if you only had water to drink for the rest of your life. Would you be content? 
I would. No tea, no wine, no soda, no juice, no Gatorade, no life water, no vitamin water, nothing. You just have water. I don't know for the most part, but I, I do surely enjoy water, so. The devil is coming to get whatever that for the most part in your mind is. That's what right. he's coming after. Yeah. And that's that's everybody's struggle. Mm. The enemy, uh, the Bible says he's run to and fro. Basically, he's sorting through. Let me see what Joe is struggling with right now. Let me see it. Mm-hmm. Let me see what he got. He said, oh, okay, I found it. Yeah, right. found one. I'm going to attack yeah. him right here. The same thing he did with Job. He says, hey, I can get Job. He said, but you got a hedge of protection around, a hedge of protection around him. He said, if you let me get to him and take his stuff, he ain't going to serve you. Mm-hmm. What we have to understand is that our attachment to anything that rivals our worship, our honor, and our focus on God, it fringes upon idolatry. Mm-hmm. I don't care how noble it may seem on the outset. You should have no other gods before me. Amen. Sex, sex is the one area. Sex is worship. Sex is one area, especially in a generation like ours. If we don't really delve into the ideals, but then the struggles and the practicalities, we're going to miss each other. Yeah, I'm afraid that's what's happening. And I pray talks like this can begin to bridge the gap. Yeah. So I want to leave you guys with a question. If sex is worship, who are you worshiping? So y'all need to sit with that for a second. Is it you or is it Jesus? (laughs) I'm gonna let y'all have that. So (laughs) thank you once again, George, for coming on the podcast. Um, As you guys know, you can listen to the parallel at the parallel. You can follow the parallel at the parallel pod on Instagram. Listen anywhere. Um, you can also follow the parallel at the parallel on TikTok. Um, George, is there anywhere you want the people to find you? Uh, Instagram. I just got a TikTok. All George. Hey. My Instagram. My my Insta, uh, my TikTok is actually Holiness University. Um, I will be okay. launching Holiness University. The original launch day, launch day was going to be June third. I'm actually uh, getting some things better together, so I'm going to be pushing the launch date back, but. I'm literally launching an entire university centered around wholeness. Um, awesome. I, I believe it's what we need. And um, I'm going to give everything that God allows me to give that my wife feels comfortable with me sharing. Because I Amen. we need it. Awesome. So that's awesome. You guys can follow him there. I'll put that in the description as well. Um, as you guys know, remember to always speak the truth in love and kiss the sun. I will see you guys next week. Bye. Peace out.